0: Hello, and welcome to the Lancet podcast on Friday, 1st of April. My name is Nicolai Humphreys. In this week's issue, dated April 2nd to April 8th, the lead editorial comments on the U.S. Institute of Medicine recently released set of standards to improve the quality of systematic reviews and clinical practice guidelines. In a perspective piece, David Holmes reviews Images of Nature, a new permanent exhibition at London's Natural History Museum. Be sure to check out our Facebook page where you can see a small little interactive gallery of some of the images that David Holmes saw when he reviewed the exhibition. Also, look out for an article on mid-level healthcare providers in Nepal, a seminar on chronic pancreatitis, and a review that looks at the increasing burden of liver disease in patients with HIV infection. But now for the main feature. This week, we published a World Report item by Shamila Devi called Facebook Friend Request from a Patient. The World Report examines the ethical implications that the use of social media is having on the medical community. I started by asking Shamila why the medical community should be taking stock of social media in the first place and for her to give some examples of who exactly and how people are using these networks. Well,
1: an awful lot of people, especially in America, are using these networks. There was a, a survey that came out fairly recently by the Manhattan Research Group that said that something like 89 million adults in the United States last year used social networking for health reasons, to investigate, to research medical conditions, to research perhaps in a particular physician. So there is a massive, massive community of people that are using such social networking sites like Twitter, like Google, like Facebook. They're setting up things like patient groups, patient support groups, things like that. So doctors very much need to be aware of this that a lot of their patients, a lot of their clients, if it's you know, psychotherapy clients, people like that, are on the internet. And the other interesting thing that's coming out of research is that older people whom one might not think as being particularly tech-savvy or not, certainly not as comfortable with the internet as younger people, but actually older people who are perhaps also cancer patients are turning to the internet and are using the internet in large numbers. So physicians need to be aware of this they, more and more physicians have their own online presence. maybe may be using it as a, as a marketing tool, a web page for their practice. Particularly here in America, again, because you know, obviously, it's a private medical system that they have. So, it's another marketing tool for many, many physicians. They are using this.
0: So, you've just said there that the USA is kind of the birthplace of these new technologies, and they're finding themselves at the forefront of this ethical debate. What precedents have been set, if any, and can you see these being adopted elsewhere across the world?
1: There are precedents. There are more and more professional associations who are coming out with their own guidelines. One of the biggest associations, the American Medical Association, just a few months ago came out with their updated code of ethics for the use of social media. And their code of ethics is actually quite conservative. For example, they advise... Their members to keep the boundaries the professional and personal boundaries to keep them very strict as they would in day to day life in physical reality they urge their members to keep those boundaries in the online in their online life as well. Uh, most associations are taking that sort of line they are warning physicians that the information that is posted out there about them can last for an awful long time and can come up in all sorts of weird ways, you know, Google searches and so on. So they're very much urging their members to be very, very careful about what they put out there. And it can be blog postings, it can be photographs, it can be, I don't know, a physician could go to a social event like a family wedding or something like that and suddenly photos appear.
0: So the association seems to be quite worried. Can you describe some of the cases that have brought this debate into the spotlight? There
1: was a case that just occurred in upstate New York in February in which a, I think it was a physician's assistant, he posted photographs on his Facebook page that showed him holding a syringe to a patient's neck and he'd taken these photographs, posted them and as you can imagine there was absolute uproar over this and you know, lots of investigation. And I think it would be quite clear, most medical professionals would say that, that was, he'd crossed a line, you know, breached his patient's privacy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Those sorts of cases are quite rare, but they do happen, and it goes to show just how careful people have to be.
0: And interestingly, it would appear that there is little consensus in the medical community. Can you tell us a little bit more about what some of the more hardline opponents of the professional application of social networks are saying and Kind of contrast that with some of the more liberal viewpoints?
1: I think, for example, Dr. Edward Hill, he is the head of the World Medical Association and they represent something like 95 national associations from around the world. I spoke to him, he's based down in Mississippi, and I spoke to him and he Said himself, he has a very hard stance against social networking at the medical practice which uh, where he works. Access to social networking sites are completely blocked. Their employees just cannot access this at all. Then on the other side, I spoke to a psychologist who's based in California, Doctor Officer, and he. He's, he, he feels that things should be looked at on a more case-by-case basis. He gave the example, say, of small communities, small rural communities, where people know each other very well, they see each other on a very regular basis. And it's much more difficult to maintain a line between the professional and the social. And in a case like that, things like being, being friends with each other on Facebook is just a, a, a very natural progression from the physical day-to-day relationships that they have now. Dr. Officer in California, he perhaps at the moment represents a minority view. But I think as more and more doctors enter the profession and other healthcare professionals as they enter the profession and they're younger people who from a very, very early age are completely comfortable with having an online life and an online presence, things could change, I think. Facebook, social networking and so on is just becoming so much more part of so many people's lives that these things are evolving and it will be interesting to see how things do evolve over the next 10, 15 years.
0: Yes, and that leads very nicely into the next question. Could you see in the future perhaps social networks being used as a potential healthcare provider in itself? Do you foresee a time when social media networks could be used as a consultation aid perhaps in a clinical setting? I think that's absolutely
1: true. There are already cases, there are some particularly counselling associations and other professional associations that are already telling their members that part of their clinical duties will be discussing with patients and clients where they can, you know, making sure that their clients and patients can get information online and very much steering to where good information can be found, but also particular patient groups, social groups, where patients can help each other. There was a very interesting article in the New York Times just a month or so back, and the journalist was talking about information networks, information websites, things like WebMD. And this particular journalist, she was saying that the Mayo Clinic, their particular website, which has a wealth of detail, she very much recommended that website, while cautioning those websites that have ties, for example, to big pharmaceutical companies, and perhaps are pushing certain therapies or treatments that benefit companies more than the patient. And that's the sort of advice that healthcare professionals will very much need to be aware of and know that they have to give to their patients.
0: You raise a very interesting point in your World Report and one that you've already kind of touched upon in this podcast, that until some guidelines are in place, all those in the medical community should be aware of how much information they make available online. But could you just explain a little bit more about that? Sort of what should the average doctor, perhaps medical student, clinician be doing right now?
1: probably one of the most important things they can do and it's not for egotistical reasons but what they probably should do is on a very regular basis is very simply google themselves put their name in see what comes up on that search and scroll through quite a few pages to see what sort of things are coming up there because that's one of the first things that many of their patients might well do is Google them. So they need to be aware of what potential clients are, are seeing that's out there about them. So Google yourself, and it doesn't have to be seen as
0: an egotistical act. And finally, regular listeners probably know that Lancet, we engage with our readers using Facebook and Twitter. Are there any ethical implications that you could see as a result of this kind of interaction?
1: I think, again... Like in so many of these situations, if you write something down before hitting that send button, read it again, wait 30 seconds, maybe even a minute, and just think about it before sending that, hitting that send button. <laughs>
0: Thank you, Shamila, for taking the time to speak with The Lancet. Thank you. And that about wraps things up. All that's left for me to say is thanks for listening, goodbye, and tune in next week.